that was a big thing getting out too, where, where, you know, you have those guys that I think it's based out of their own insecurity that are just trying to scare you about the civilian life and getting out and like, oh, what are you going to do? I'm like, well, I don't know yet, but I do know I have a hundred friends that live here in San Diego and they're doing all sorts of things. And somehow they're like, they have a roof and they got food and like, it's all good. Like the military, you know, it can hold your hands so much, especially if you are going in, you know, maybe out of a high school and that's, that's all you've known. Um, so I would just say to people, if like they're active, like just start to branch out a little from your military. If you're thinking about getting out and you don't maybe have like a, a big, you know, community that are, outside of the military, like start to try and find that there's, if you live in an area like San Diego, like there's intramural leagues, there's all sorts of clubs and activities, start jujitsu. Like you will make a lot of friends through jujitsu. Um, all that stuff, like make civilian friends. So if you want to be a civilian, it's not like it's a civilian, you know, I hate to say it's like people aren't that different, you know, whatever walk of life they choose. But yeah, I was so entrenched in a civilian world already that to me, I already, I kind of felt like I was like one leg out the whole time. Welcome to the Transition Drill Podcast. As members of the first responder and military communities, we need to be planning today for our transition from these careers. Because unfortunately, as many have experienced, these careers can tell us the ride is over before we're ready for it to be done. My name is Paul Pantani and I've spent the past 30 years in law enforcement, working in various assignments and promoting through the ranks of leadership. With the help of my guests, who like you are either former or current military members or first responders, the goal of this podcast is to provide you with information to help you in your planning. But just as important, we can't forget to take care of ourselves today. So I'm also going to have guests who are going to talk about how to be more physically and mentally fit. Welcome back, everyone. This is truly a special episode. This week is one year since the podcast went live. It's been an awesome ride so far, and I want to extend a sincerest thank you to the guests who have shared their time and their stories. Also, though, thank you to all of you who have listened and spread the word of the podcast. The continued growth is directly related to each of you talking about it and sharing it with others. I'm so grateful for each of you, and I look forward to many more years of this. All right, enough of my ramblings. I know you're here to listen to the episode, so let's get into this one. I'm joined this week by Noah Oliver. Noah comes from a Navy family, so while in high school, he decided he was going to join the Navy also. He got into the ROTC program at Florida State University, but after a couple years, he realized the ROTC program wasn't for him. College life was. He stayed and graduated. And he'll tell you, it took full advantage of the college life. But after graduating, he still wanted to serve in the military. So he joined the Navy. He served six years as an EOD technician and got out in 2018. Using his GI Bill, he went back to school to get his MBA. And while in the business program at the University of San Diego, he founded Flowhold, a jiu-jitsu and MMA supply company. Noah's passion, all right, besides surfing and his family, is martial arts. He began training as a teenager. He's competed in MMA and he's earned his black belt in jiu-jitsu under Jocko Willink and Dean Lister in March of 2022. There's a lot more to Noah, and I really did have fun talking with him. As always, thanks for listening, and please enjoy episode 55. This is my life. Coffee. Are you, do you do coffee? Or you I, just had it this morning already? I do coffee. I have not gone down the rabbit hole of good quality coffee yet yeah um i'm still good with just popping whatever container my wife buys for the keurig mm-hmm. hit hit brew and, and be done with it yeah i'm not a snob these are nespresso 
that my wife has, but uh, that's just because we ran out of pot coffee. So that's what we got going on. Yeah. You know, it took me a long time to get into coffee. Um, I remember, you know, as a, as a young cop, not drinking coffee. And then one day, all of a sudden there was the flavor for it. And to be honest with you, the coffee that I like is that diner style coffee that they'll brew 5,000 pots a day. Mm Mm-hmm. I like it. No, that's what, what I love. I get the big Dunkin' Donuts one from Costco and just run that pot. Just keep it going. And then I'll cook a little or I'll do a little extra and then I'll put that in the fridge for a little cold brew later in the day. There you go. But yeah. Yeah. I try and keep it to like three cups because in the day, because I'll get a little, get a little hairy past that. The caffeine, that's the other thing too, because I'll actually, if you give me the option, I'll order decaf because mm-hmm. I don't get the perceived benefit or the perceived uh impact of caffeine i can drink a cup of coffee and go to sleep yeah so i drink coffee purely just because i enjoy the flavor of it but not because i'm not one of those people wakes up in the morning like oh i need a cup of coffee to get going Mm -hmm. if i drink a cup of coffee it's merely because i just want to drink a cup of coffee yeah it's not the caffeine as much but it's like the ritual and the taste the flavor it's like i look forward to that that morning cup you know and then i like kind of pace it and it's like after that morning one i'm like i want another (laughs) but i'm gonna wait and it's like a little treat, you know, in the afternoon. It's like a little reward, you know. You kind of set those little things up in the day. You're like, all right, I'm gonna have my two o'clock coffee, and then does the, forward. We're going into the summer months. Does the summer months not impact your desire? Or I know you talked about cold brew, so yeah. when you transition to a cold, more cold. Yeah, brew? yeah. Well, during the afternoon, in the afternoon, a lot of times I'll have it just because it's already brewed. I'll stop it, take it off so it doesn't burn, put it in the fridge, then just kind of lazy, so I don't have to brew another cup or. Now getting deep into this, so are, are you somebody who's got to doctor it up with a bunch of add-ins? No, this is black. Oh, okay. Black is nine, baby. Yeah, I used to. I mean, yeah, I had I liked like the flavored creamers and stuff. And at a point, I think it was just out of convenience, you know, not having it, and then I just started drinking black, and now that's how I like it. But I will put a little. I'll do like a little almond milk in the cold brew. I think the cold has a little, look good with a little extra in there. But. I, I prefer mine just black, you know, no, yeah. I'll take a flavored coffee every once in a while, but in, for the most part, I don't need creamer. I don't need sugar. Yeah. You know, just, just give me a black. I did find now my wife's turned me on to a, 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 like a, like a nice coffee drink that I do enjoy. So, it, cause you know, it's like you're out, you're paying whatever, five bucks for a black coffee, uh, whatever coffee shop. You're like, oh, I could just make a <laughs> cup at home for five cents. But so now I like, I do like a dirty chai. So it's like a chai tea with some okay. espresso, a little oh. bit of oat milk. I try and I'll ask for like half the sweeten, sweetener if I can, but uh, it's kind of nice because then it makes like getting coffee out something a little different, you know, rather than just like, okay, another black cup of coffee I could easily do at home. Just not, not the process or, or not having to do the process at home. You could probably make the same thing. Yeah, now, yeah. now you're dealing with, you know, five additional steps as opposed yeah, to just Yeah. I don't have an espresso machine though, but... Give it time. I, I, I Give think, it time. yeah, yeah. It's on the horizon. <laughs> it's on one of the, uh, <laughs> there's this guy, uh, the wish list. Yeah. Well, like this guy, I think his name's Ramit Seti. He does, he's like, you're, he's been on like Tim Ferriss podcast and a bunch of stuff. He has a book called I will teach you to be rich, which he like admits is a super cheesy title, but he's actually like a really good finance guy who kind of breaks things down into like a more realistic type thing. And his whole shtick is like, you know, I'm not telling you, I'm not like the Dave Ramsey, like don't spend the $5. He's like, no, he's like, you know, find the things that you do enjoy and, and allow yourself to splurge on those. So you can pull back in other areas. Um, but he does this thing called like my rich life. So he's like, you know, imagine these things, like what would you do if you, if you know, you're able to get your finances where you want them to be, you know, and actually like 
visualize and think about those things. Like what are those like small conveniences, those little treats, the, the trips or whatever it is, like what does your rich life consist of? So like actually like people will say all the time, like, oh, I want to make more money. I want to do this. It's like, all right, well, well, why do you just want to make money to make money? And then when you actually start to think about those things, like, well, why do I want that? You know, it gives yourself something to, to strive for and to like be realistic about it. So I like that guy. Well, that, that goes back to more of the planning thing. So many people just get in their head of, and this is exactly kind of like the podcast in the sense that I want to make more money, mm-hmm. but they don't think about the why they don't think about what's, what is their goal for making that more money as opposed to just the act of making more money. Yeah. Same thing, you know, with first responders and military guys they'll say, I just want to get out or I want to do my career and get out. But what are you doing afterwards? Mm-hmm. You know, and that was kind of the, the backbone of this is start thinking today, get that plan in place of don't just say, I want to make it to retirement. Okay. That's your goal. But what are you going to do with that? What, you know, when you say, I want to make money, well, what do you want to do with that money to make your life better or make those around you better? You know, have that, have that purpose merely or beyond simply just saying, I want to make more money. Right. Yeah. And then we talked a little bit before about like the podcast and the structure and everything. And and I was probably in that or for sure in that boat of more. So the priority was just get out. Like I just, just, I just don't want to be constrained like this anymore. It was really like my driving force when I kind of made the decision. And, you know, I look back on it, obviously there's things that I kind of would have done different towards my time more in my perspective, you know, of just, I, I, I would never change getting out when I did and stuff. And I'm, I'm glad I did, but you know, just like rather than focusing so much of, I need to get out, I need to do something different. I can't be trapped like this. Um, and just taking that perspective of like, all right, well, you know, you have these couple years left, you've decided what to do with them. I mean, it's such a, you know, when you're like talking about it now, it's like <laughs> such a simple concept, but when you're, you're younger and you're in the thick of it, like, it's just these simple things are they're They're simple concepts. Dean, Dean Lister will say that my, my one jujitsu coaches will say simple, not easy, you know? So it's like a very simple concept, but it's not easy to embody when you're just feel trapped in the military and you're like, I want to get out. And then, so you're living, you know, these last couple of years of work with that mindset of not, you know, how can I make the most of this while my, my time here, I have two years. It is what it is. Um, let's make it the most. And you kind of trick yourself at that time. Cause if you just trick yourself into thinking I'm going to make the most of it, well, you actually do and you do a better job and then everything kind of like lines up into place a little bit better. So I kind of, you know, my mentality towards the end of my time in the military was a little, a little negative, I think, just cause I was just over it, you know? And it was really, for me, it was like the freedom part of it and the constraints and just like having so many people with so much say in my life when I felt like, there's um, people in, in your life in the military who have, have a say <laughs> in, your, in your everyday. Yeah, I know. It's a, it's a fascinating concept. Um, yeah, a lot, you know. So, but yeah, that was my kind of end there. But live and learn, do things differently. Let's get into you a little bit more. Where yeah. did you grow up? So I grew up, I was born in Atlanta, outside of Atlanta, Georgia, in the suburbs of a town called Conyers. Um, I grew up there, lived there till I was 14. And then when we were 14, my family moved down to West Palm Beach, Florida. Um, so I went to high school in West Palm Beach, graduated from high school, went to Florida State um, in Tallahassee, Florida. Four years, did my undergrad, and then enlisted in the military. Big family, small family? So one sister, two parents. They're still together. They just celebrated their 39th wedding anniversary. Um, and I have one sister. She's like four. She's four years older than me, four years, three months. 
Um, so yeah, small family, great, great childhood, great upbringing. Honestly, uh, my parents are incredible people. My mom's here, right? You just met my mom earlier. So we just had a baby. So my mom's, um, hanging out. My dad will be here on Friday. So like my parents are incredible, super kind people, like great relationship with them. Great relationship between the two of them. Awesome examples of, of people, you know, uh, did they stay in Florida? So, so yeah, so no, they, uh, so we moved down there. They lived there for 10 years and now they're back. They moved back to Atlanta. So they're during my college time and my first few years in the military, they were still down there in West Palm. So I'd go back and visit. And then my wife's from Fort Lauderdale. So we've got a lunch, a lot of stuff still going on in South Florida. But since then, my parents have gone back to Atlanta about like six years ago. And my, my sister lives in Atlanta um, like three doors down from my parents and she has, uh, three kids and a, and a husband. So like my family, relatively small family, but like they're Very always to together doing stuff. And so, yeah. What took your family down to Florida originally? Um, my dad's work. Yeah. Just a job opportunity for, for my dad. My dad's a pastor actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, I think, I don't know. I mean, so, so my mom's from, from San Diego. I think I mentioned that earlier, but, um, so my mom's born and raised down here in Chula Vista, until she was 31. My dad was in the military. They met out here. Um, and then my sister was actually born out here. My dad got out and, uh, they lived in San Diego for like another year or so, and then moved back to, um, Atlanta. So I think my mom was probably like down to get back to the beach a little bit, you know, it it just seemed like a nice, there was a good opportunity. Um, my dad had had met, um, some people, he kind of ran a small church and that's the thing my, you know, my dad's a pastor, but he's a, He's like, I don't know. I feel like today it's almost, you, you have to differentiate with like Christians right. between like a real Christian, someone who, who, you know, basically just follows the word of Jesus essentially. Um, and then someone, you know, there's a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of pastors that aren't really who they ought to be. Um, so my dad had a super small church, grew up in that. Um, and then he met some other some people just through doing like missionary work. He, he works with some Bible colleges through Africa and stuff. And so through some of these organizations, um, met, met a guy who had like a big church down in West Palm. And he really wanted my dad to come on board with him and just seemed like a good opportunity at the time. I think they were looking for something a little different. So moved down there when I was 14, I was stoked on it at first. Well, I was a little bummed, but I was like happy to get to the water because I was always like in love with the ocean. And I kind of felt like I was jealous of my mom, super jealous that like she grew up here in San Diego. And I was like, I want to like, that's the life I want. You know, I got into like, like skateboarding and punk music when I was like in sixth grade or so. And it just like the whole Southern California scene culture, like just really resonated with me, I guess. And I was like, super, I was like, man, these, you know, fuck these rednecks in Georgia. You know, I just hate all that shit. And I was like, I want to, you know, I want to be in Southern California. And so I was like, always kind of envious of my mom's childhood. And I always kind of had this like dream of what my life would have been like in Southern California to a degree. Um, and then, you know, again, you get older and now I appreciate a lot of things about, about Georgia and about the rural areas and stuff. And, but at the time I was like, cool, you know, we'll go to West Palm, it's a beach. And then my parents were like, I actually just, we just come out here to San Diego to visit my family when I was, when I was 14. I was going to ask you, did you come to California frequently for visits? Yeah, not a whole lot. We we didn't have like a ton of money to travel. Um, but there was like a couple like big trips where we came out here for like a few weeks. And so some of my mom's family's up in Carlsbad and we stayed with them for a while. And like during that, with that trip when I was 14, like I, I learned to surf and I just, the entire, I think it was like two weeks we were up in Carlsbad and I just like wanted to surf like every day. So I was a little bummed to be 
leaving my friends, you know, like you're living in the same place. You're 14. Obviously like you're a little sad. I had a girlfriend who I was like super into and I was like heartbroken, whatever. Um, but then I was like, cool. And my parents were like, all right, we're, you know, I know we're, we're leaving all your friends and we're leaving your home, but they're surfing. We're going to get you a surfboard. (laughs) That was like, yeah, that was their like big enticement of like to make it a little, a little easier of a transition for me at that age. Um, you know, going into high school, like you're looking forward to going with all your friends from middle school to high school. So there was that element. Um, so, but yeah, like really being by the beach and the surfing, like made it a little more exciting for me. So then we moved to West Palm, but we actually moved to a town called Wellington, which is 30 minutes inland <laughs> from West Palm. And no one told me that the, the waves in South Florida are very different than the waves in Southern California. So we get out there, you know, we're driving. It takes a half hour to get to the beach. I'm like, well, this kind of sucks. You know, it's like I'm 14. I don't have a driver's license. I can't get here all the time. And uh, and then it's like flat as could be. So then that surfboard uh, became a skimboard. And I was just like super bummed. And then I was really resentful. Knock the fins off. Yeah, yeah. So that first year in Florida or so, I was like super um, I was pretty bummed out to be there. And, and, and like I said, you know, I, I'd gotten into kind of like an alternative scene in Atlanta, like punk and hardcore music and stuff like that. But, um, where I was, I was going to ask, did you find yourself or did you perceive yourself as kind of the outsider? So, so this is what's interesting about that. Um, like where I grew up, it was almost like that, like outside in. It was like a lot of these, when I was, um, you know, like 13, 14, and then even older kids as well, we had like this really good scene, uh, like a music scene, um, for, for being a pretty suburban town. Like we were probably Conyers is about 30 minutes from actual Atlanta. So it's pretty like, and what year we metro talking Atlanta about? suburban. So this is like, I started high school in 2004. So, I mean, the, the hip hop industry is really grown in the Atlanta area. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine that has to carry over to almost every other genre of music with just the, the growth of the music scene in Atlanta. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, now Atlanta is this huge, like music. They, they got the film industry. I mean, it, I think it's always been, um, a surprisingly like artistic place. My mom's a drama teacher. Um, that was my, my mom was like super into drama. Um, she started out here, went to school for drama. My sister's like an amazing singer, uh, like, um, plays does, does like musical theater. She's like insanely good, insanely talented. Um, if she would have pursued that, I think she could have been super successful in that field, but she kind of chose the family in priority, which I respect. Um, but yeah, it was like really artistic and, and, and there was just a lot of like cool stuff going on as far as like music and, and theater and all that stuff. Like a lot of it bled into the culture. So like my friends being, you know, like wearing skinny jeans and, and Converse at the time, which weren't all that or whatever. And like into these weird bands, like they were still hanging out with like the hot cheerleader chicks. So it was like a weird thing where like, it was like the counterculture were also like kind of popular kids. And, and it wasn't, uh, that town, it, it felt, it felt a little different. It was not like that stereotypical, like you got your jocks and your goss and your skaters and your red. There, there seemed to be a little less of that. I don't know. For whatever reason, that area, uh, there was a lot of people who were just friends with each other. So it was like, cool. So I came from that. Um, and then I moved to Florida and then that was not the case <laughs> down there at all. So I get in and I'm kind of used to, you know, I, I've just grown up. I've always had a lot of friends. I've always been social. Um, and then I moved there when I was 14 and then like probably for the, for the first time in my life, I'm like getting picked on, you know, I'm in, I'm in 
skinny jeans, some vans, like longer hair, wearing just like band shirts every day. I have like a messenger bag, like backpack, you know. And then the cool kids in Florida <laughs> are like in Air Forces wearing like oversized Miami Dolphins jerseys with like Cuba zirconium earrings, you know, and I'm like, where the hell am I? And then now, and, and I don't know anyone. So it's like, it's not like I can be like, Oh, you, you know, he looks weird, but he's cool. Like no one even knows how, if, if I'm cool, or whatever. So like, I actually was getting like picked on when I moved to South Florida and like, people are calling me faggot and like, everyone's like, are you gay or whatever? And then like, I don't know, again, at the time I'm like, no, like, I don't, but like, why do you even care? Like, why is that an issue? Why are you guys like this? So that all added into leaving all the friends, being kind of psyched on Florida, realizing it's not exactly what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and then being in this position where, you know, you're like kind of an outsider. So I went from being very much not into this position where I was. Um, but w what was kind of cool about the whole thing was it did, that didn't really last long. So I, at least in my grade and in, in ninth grade, and it was a big high school, this school, Wellington had like I think there was like 4,000 kids my freshman year. They wound up building another school. Wow. And they stood, so it got a little smaller. Um, but I think there was like around 4,000. So it was this big, big school. So I started meeting people in my freshman class and like having classes with people, getting to know people. And like, they're all, you know, everyone, now I'm friends with people and stuff like that. But then the older kids still don't know me. So I'm still kind of getting, getting picked on, just getting shit for looking the way I did. Um, but, you know, I look back on that and I'm like, man, what a, like a, it was, a, I think it was good for me. You know, I don't know to what degree I would have grown up and like not had that, not having that experience. Like maybe I could have fallen into the other side of it and maybe I would have bullied people or like picked on. But I think, um, you know, like it's like any of those tough times. Like I think if they're not too terrible, you look back and, and you grow from those experiences. And so like in hindsight, I'm like, I'm really thankful for that because at least it can, it kept me from, from being potentially going on the other side of that, you know? And, and I think I had good parents. I, I was brought up, right. Like definitely knew the difference between right and wrong, knew how, what was, you know, the, the right way to, to treat people and, and not, but when you're a kid, you know, you can get so away from yourself. So you bring up something, <clears throat> did you, was there ever a point or a, a, a time where you kind of saw yourself saying, screw this, I'm tired of getting picked on. I'm tired of not having friends and maybe heading towards a path that wouldn't have been good for you? Or did you always kind of say, you know, this, it's just going to take a little bit of time and I'll work my way through it. Yeah. I, I think it was more the latter. Cause I, I was, it was always just like, I knew in my heart, I'm like, I, like I'm not the loser. Like these guys are the are losers. You know, I, I was, um, I think I was relatively mature for my age. Cause I grew up, um, in my neighborhood when I was young in Georgia, I was like the youngest, um, of all the, it was a really cool, like cul-de-sac and there's probably like six or seven houses and every house had at least one boy in it. And, uh, I was the youngest by two years. So a few of the houses had guys that were a couple years older than me up to like four or five years older than me. Some of them had brothers. So we had this like crew of like probably 10 boys just like mobbing around this neighborhood. And it was, it was a street and ended in a cul-de-sac and I lived there from second grade until I moved to Florida in eighth grade. So we would just play sports, you know, baseball in the cul-de-sac. We went through like phases, 
baseball, football. We got into skating. We started building ramps. There was woods behind the cul-de-sac. So for a while, we did a BMX track back there. Then it became like a paintball course. And then, you know, so it was just like always, I was with older kids then. And then my mom being a drama teacher, I was always going with her over to the high school and just like hanging out after school for like practices. And they were, like I said, this town really did have a lot of good stuff going with the arts. So there was, it was a serious program. They'd have um, like play practice till 10 o'clock at night. So I just be there hanging out with a bunch of high school kids. And so I kind of learned how to navigate, um, being around older kids and, and trying my best to not be like the annoying little tag along, you know? So, and, and, and my mom says, you know, I'm, obviously everything's through the, your frame of, of memory, which whatever that's worth. But my mom's like, yeah, no, like the kids, they enjoyed having you around. Like you were cool to be around with Like they were, they'd be like, Oh, we're, we're going to take Noah with us kind of thing. So I think I was, from, from being around older kids pretty often, I had like decent maturity, um, and kind of like awareness, um, at that age. So that's what I was going to say is just by, by pure submersion or Mm -hmm. immersion in that group of variety of ages and you being the youngest without even realizing it, you were probably forced to mature, but not in a manner that you felt you were forced to mature, if that makes sense. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, and I think it was good. And and, then like just leading into kind of my interest as I, as I got older and like going into the military, getting involved in martial arts, I think was super cool. And I, you know, just these things you kind of look back on, you're like, I think everyone does a little self-examining just kind of like, why am I the way I am? Like what, what things contributed to this or that? And I, and I think, um, that I'm actually like, like by nature, a pretty, like vulnerable and kind, like I was a vulnerable kind of kind kid. I definitely felt a lot of feelings and like I was in touch with my emotions to a degree. Um, but then I'm also around these, just this group of older kids. So I was able to develop, like I learned how to be a little tougher and like how to take shit and how to, how to like, deal with shit talking because like you know you're the youngest so like you're you know how it is like a group of boys like sharks in the water like there's blood like everyone's diving on so I was the easiest target so and I'm sure you know I was also was younger so I was saying stupid stuff I'm sure that would (laughs) would warranted getting (laughs) getting some shit you know but those uh, are life lessons yeah 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 so I kind of learned how to like get a little thicker skin and toughen up a little bit but like was able to hold on to an element of my own nature too. Like not so far that I got jaded and like went so far the other way. So by the time when I did move down there and I was like getting picked on by people I didn't know rather than just, you know, friendly kind of badgering, um, at least I had developed some mechanisms to, to cope with that, you know, and not take it personally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it did, it did get to a point. I mean, there were days, you know, when I was 14 and like, didn't know anyone yet and just all the circumstances around it, like it was kind of sucked. But again, not stuff that I probably would, would change, you know, so academically, were you uh, well, or did you enjoy school or was school a struggle? Yeah, I, I enjoyed school. Um, I school, like my mom definitely helped me out a lot. My parents were super involved always. So it was like, if I need help with homework, it was like never an issue. So, I mean, I, I totally recognize, um, you know, a lot of the blessings I've been given in in my life and like that I had really good things going for me. So school, I was always encouraged, you know, I started reading early, like my parents would would read to me. Then once I started reading, they were getting me books. And so like, I enjoyed school and then like the learning aspect, I I, I think I did enjoy. Um, but really I, I, I loved school. I I just liked being around people. Like I'm definitely, you know, an extrovert. So I, I enjoy just like the social setting of, of school. I think the only time, the only times that I had 
uh, issues in school were because I would be a little over the top, you know, like kind of talking too much class clowning kind of stuff. So like my parents tell me, they're like, yeah, you, you pretty much had a 50, 50 split with your teachers. Like either they really liked Loved you, you or yeah, yeah. You. They're like, Oh cool. Like, you know, he's fun. He brings a good energy to class. Or they're like, Oh no, shut up. Like <laughs> sit down. We're learning algebra. Like this isn't the time kind of stuff. So I, I understand both sides of it. So, but, um, yeah, school's good for me. What about organized sports growing up? Were you heavily into those? Um, I started basketball. I was into basketball, like all through, um, elementary school. So like I said, in, in the, in the neighborhood, we played a bunch of stuff. So, but that not, not organized at all. It was just like, like, smack, like tackle football, <laughs> like into the grass, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I, I did play, um, uh, like church league basketball K through five. And then going into sixth grade, that's when we got like the neighborhood. We all got into like skating. And then, so I kind of fell into that side of, of like organized sports are lame. Like, <laughs> fuck that dude. Like I'm, I'm a skater. I don't play organized. So I don't want playing football with a jock. I'm a skater. You know, and that kind of became like my day. And then I sucked at skating, <laughs> skateboarding. I wound up like, you know, I skated for like two years and then after the skateboarding, you know, through skateboarding kind of get into like, you know, punk and hardcore music. And then that became kind of my, you know, going from, you know, you kind of identify with things. I think a lot of kids, your, your sport is, is your identity to a degree. So then the skating turned into the music. Uh, and then by the time we moved to Florida and I got into high school and I was like in, you know, ninth grade kind of getting past this, the general angst. <laughs> I'm like, man, I kind of wish I had been playing a team sport at this point. <laughs> so now I want to play a team sport in high school and I'm new. And I'm like, I recognize like, okay, this would be a good way to, to, to make friends. Some of the, the friends I am making now are like in sports, but I felt like, um, I'm like, all these kids have been playing these sports through middle school. Like I just didn't want to feel like a loser and like show up and suck at, at football or whatever sport. So I wound up doing cross country for a year. Cause I'm like, Oh, cause I kind of would, would had started like to run. run. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like all right, one foot in front of the other, like pretty easy. Not going to look like too big of an idiot. So I did that, um, for one year. And then that was a sophomore year, I believe. And then I, my junior year, I was just like running was kind of lame, boring. Then I, I found martial arts in, in my junior year. I started Muay Thai and that's when kind of everything else shifted in a completely different direction. And we're, we'll go down yeah, that path. Yeah. Um, the, you, you talk about, you were getting into the hardcore scene and, and punk. Were you actually playing music in a band? No, that's one of my biggest regrets in my life is that I didn't, um, I play a little guitar, um, I'm not good at all, but I, I enjoy it. And I, I do sing actually. I, so my mom, like I said, she's a drama teacher. So I did, in addition to all the sports, I was very into, I was into theater for, for a while as well. So like through middle school, I was like into theater, like starring in musicals <laughs> in, in theater. Um, and then when I got to Florida, I don't remember, I don't remember many skateboard musicals, but <laughs> <laughs> Dude, we might have found a niche though. Maybe, I don't know. After this is over, we could sketch out some ideas and pitch them. But, uh, yeah, so I was in, I was into that, um, but no, it, uh, a lot of my friends were in bands and stuff, and then I, you know, I stayed in that music scene, and that's how I made a lot of good friends. Ultimately, in, in Florida, a lot of the friends that I um, am still in touch with was was like through music, and they were in bands. But um, yeah, I think I don't know. I was like nervous. I think I was always my mom would like entice me to like she would like get me a gift to like sing a song at church or something like that. They'd be like if you do this, I'll, but I was always like super nervous. Um, you know, I would perform in the plays and stuff, but it was always kind of, I don't know, a band felt like a little more intimidating, I, I guess. But I, I, 
that's a regret for sure. That's like one thing I wish that I, that I would have done. Just like never, never had that itch or there was one. No, I did. I mean, I did. I just, I was literally, I think it was, it was the nerve. It was just like not having like the confidence to, but be as like, a singer, you're saying yeah. the nerves came from being the singer or just performing in general. Uh, it, in general to a degree, but definitely like being like the singer, like being like the front man of the band, Stephen Timmy. We, we had, there was some other friends of mine once, once I got to Florida and started making some more friends and they had a band and they were kind of doing a thing and we were going to do like a, like a little jam, like try out. And it kind of just like didn't happen. Cause I was just like sort of stepping around it and like, didn't really pursue it, but I, I deeply wanted it, but I was just like too nervous, you know? Cause I think back to when I was a kid and talking about getting a band going, that's the, other than getting finding somebody who wants to play bass, yeah, <laughs> finding a singer. So I would imagine that if, as soon as the, if they had found out that you could actually sing, yeah, I could probably imagine them putting a lot of pressure on you. Yeah, well, that, and that, so that's when you know I kind of and I fell off. I, I stopped doing theater around like my like around my sophomore year. I was kind of like over it, um, or just the program there wasn't as good. There wasn't as much stuff I was into, and then I got into martial arts more, and so stopped kind of perform altogether but it's been a cool thing to have that foundation that now and now that i'm older you know go back and, and now it's like kind of just it's it's some it's, i think it's nice to a degree to kind of have things that are yours too um so like i still like i play guitar a good bit i'll, I'll sing i you know to my wife to my son like i'll, I'll play so like i'll check this song out but like well not to my son he's six weeks and I'm like, hey check dude you'll like this one <laughs> he's got that look on his face yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i'm like dude are yeah. You, are you, yeah 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 are you are you uh are is you, that a diaper or you like the song <laughs> yeah do you like the strokes check this one out. no um but yeah so like now it's just kind of my, my little little hobby that i that i enjoy that i recognize that i suck at so yeah it's good so let's go down the martial arts path mm -hmm. 16 years old muay thai of yeah. all the martial arts that doesn't seem like the the most common one for a 16 year old. Yeah. Um, so my dad was, uh, was a boxer. So he was, he did golden gloves in Atlanta. Um, and when he, I think he, when he was like 12 or 13, started boxing and boxed all through, um, up into like his teenage years and did a bunch of fights. So like, I knew that about my dad and I'd seen photos and stuff and he would, we would mess around and he would, and I, I remember one time, like, you know, he pops me accidentally and I get a bloody nose and my mom was like super, like, didn't want it to happen. My mom's cool as shit, but she's, you know, naturally he's right. like, don't, why, why you teach our son to fight this and that? But there was, it was always like there. So like my dad would mess it, but it was never like a structured, like, all right, we're going to do a boxing lesson. It was just always like there. Um, so then when I got to the age where it was kind of, I could start making my, my own decisions for my parents were cool. They gave me a lot of like liberty around 16 once i started driving i really didn't have a curfew they I, I was they trusted me and i and i did did right by them for the most part you know so so i warranted that trust i think so once i was at the age i could kind of start making decisions i just had always been interested and wanted to do i did a little taekwondo when i was a kid um and it's so funny looking back because i i wound up stopping taekwondo because of the katas i hated the fucking katas, dude. I'm like, this is so, like, why am I memorizing this? Like, yeah, yeah. It's like dance, you know, I didn't want to do that, but I love when we would spar and when we would do a thing back then. And I think he called it turtle wrestling, but we would basically, and, and in high, I'm like, obviously this is what, why I enjoyed it. Like it's basically was grappling. We would, we would have the belts and he'd put, there was like a, you'd cut off like maybe a six to eight inch piece of a belt and you'd put it in the back of your belt and then you'd go on your knees and you'd like wrestle. And then you try and get the, that little piece out of the other person's belt. So we would do that often and we would spar. And I remember those being like the highlights that I would love, um, from Taekwondo. 
but because of the katas and all the other stuff, I'm like, this is lame. <laughs> so I stopped that. But then when I was, yeah, you know, I was in my junior high school, um, I just looked around, I think like, uh, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with that, that movie, Ong Bak, Ong Bak Thai Warrior. It, it's, it's sort of, it's a fringe movie, but it's like, it's almost like a crouching tiger hidden dragon from Muay Thai. Okay. Kind of. So a few of my friends for whatever reason had like come across that. Um, obviously like at that, that time that was around the time where like, Ultimate Fighter One, I think, was just coming out. So UFC was really kind of uh, turning that corner where they started to get super popular. So I was like aware of UFC. Um, Ong Bak, me and my friends were obsessed with that movie. So we found, uh, me and my buddy Dan, we found this gym, um, and it was a, it was like probably 10, 15 minutes from our place, and it was, uh, it was like a karate dojo it was a uh, zintao martial arts was the name of it so it was a it was a straight up like it was karate or taekwondo or whatever but i think smartly the owner um wound up like basically renting out time slots to different uh, to different martial arts so it had like a regular gym with some punching bags and stuff and they had a full boxing ring as well and then they had um a boxing and a muay thai and a jiu-jitsu class like a few nights a week that would each have like an hour time slot and i think they, they had a capoeira in there too um so me and my buddy, Dan, we went over there and we tried all the classes. Um, and I knew about Muay Thai from, from Ankbak Thai warrior. And, you know, I actually tried a jujitsu class that first one too. And this guy, I remember him, his name is butterfly or ever. I called him butterfly and I wound up kind of becoming friends with him later down the road. But, um, he was a purple belt at the time. He taught the jujitsu class. And I vaguely remember like learning a triangle that first day and just like being like so confused of like the configuration <laughs> of my legs. And it was like, all right, this is cool. And I know it's useful for UFC and stuff, but like, I just really read like, the Muay Thai class. I was like, you know, I, I was like, it's not exactly what my dad was doing with the boxing, but I did like the Muay Thai better. I recognize I'm like, Oh, being able to kick and like adding like the elbows and the knees. And I'd seen some like pretty gnarly Muay Thai fights of like how cool you could get with all like the different maneuvers and the, um, excuse me, the, the crew at the time, this guy, Alan was just the man. He was like old school Thai guy fought like bound rope fists had like hundreds, you know, he was just, and he was, he was just awesome. Super quiet, like soft-spoken, calm dude. Um, but he was my Muay Thai crew that I started out with and, and everything, you know, this whole chain of events, you kind of look back and things like, damn, it's so cool. It worked out that way. So I sign a year long membership or whatever at Zintao martial arts. And then, um, but, but it's not, you know, it's, it's the, the separate karate guy that, that owns the school and I'm like signing the contract and everything. And then a few months later, so I'm doing Muay Thai, like pretty, like th- they, they, they did it three days a week there. And I'm like every day, like there, I'm like loving it. It was super fun. Um, and, and it was one of those things where, you know, I kind of felt good at it. Like it was like, Oh, you kind of had naturally had a, like a decent inclination toward it. So that sort of motivated me going too. And again, like I said, like I'd, I'd wanted to do that with other sports, but I always felt like I was going to suck at them. So then to kind of do this thing and be like, Oh yeah, I'm not, not bad at it. Like it definitely drives that, that fuel to like get more into it. So then a few months later, um, in my town in Wellington, they opened, or there was, you know, just word came out. They were opening up an extreme couture martial arts MMA gym. And this was like huge warehouse, a, a ring, a cage, giant mat space, all these different, you know, all this different and Randy couture's sec. I think it was the second location outside of Vegas. Um, 
And I was like, damn, like, that's what I really want to do. Like, I want to go train there. And like, it was just like, you know, it was so 2000 or or like early 2000s MMA, like tires flipping and like, and like sledgehammers and ropes. And it's just like all the stuff like I was seeing like in Ultimate Fighter and like all that shit. I'm like, dude, that's where I want to be. But, and I told my, and I was telling my dad about, I'm like, dude, they're opening up this gym and it's even closer to the house and it's huge. And they're going to have all these other things. I was like, and then my Muay Thai instructor is going to be the Muay Thai instructor at extreme couture martial arts. So I'm like, I can stay with my crew with Alan and then, but go over and then have these other good coaches and good facility too. I was like, but I signed this contract at uh, Zintao. So like I have to stay there until it's done with the year and then I can go. And my dad's like, you signed a contract. I'm like, yeah. He's like, you're not 18. You can't, sign, <laughs> you can't sign a contract. Like it's not valid. So then my dad went in there. I was like, yeah, you dumbass. Like you had like, like a teenager sign a contract. He's like, so he's out. And so it was like, perfect. So I got to stay with Alan, went over to, um, to extreme couture. And then, um, that's where I met my first jujitsu instructor, Marcelo Hibiero, who's like the man and who also, he like took an, an interest in me like early on. So I was like into Muay Thai. And I remember, I remember like my first MMA sparring session. And this is again, is this is in 2006, 2007. And so like still that the days of MMA were like sparring was just like fighting you know, to a degree. At what point in time for you, did it go from just simply wanting to go to train Muay Thai to actually, okay, I want to, I want to take this to the competitive level. Yeah. It definitely didn't start that. Like I had zero intentions of, of like doing that at all. And then, um, when I met Marcelo and I started training jujitsu and then again, like he really took like an interest in like, he was like, you're, you're, you know, you're going to compete, do this and like come help me with this class. And like, so it's just like, and, and I think grappling growing up in that neighborhood, we were wrestling all the time. So I think I just, we loved doing all that stuff, but I had no structure to do it with. So I kind of just loved it from, from the jump. And then, so once I started doing jujitsu and we were doing grappling tournaments and then it just kind of, we had a decent little team there that was traveling around to fight and we had sponsors. We had like guys in the area that owned businesses that were cause uh, amateur MMA at the time was in Florida was like, I forget what the exact rules were, but it, it essentially wasn't MMA. I want to say it was even like you, you can strike on the feet, but like once it was in the ground, like there was almost even no ground and pound. It was like a grappling once it hit the ground or something. So it was like the amateur MMA fights were really whack. So they, um, sponsors were, were paying to, to travel. So like we flew, my first MMA fight was, um, was in, uh, Lafayette, Louisiana. So we flew to Lafayette and with the team and like fought there. And then we flew to Kansas and did a fight there. So I just got into it because there's all the circumstances around me were kind of, you know, and this is all before you've graduated high school. Yeah. Yeah. This is all. So my fights, I only did those two fights, did two amateur fights and they're both in high school. I won them both. And I always, thought I would fight again and then just string of events, military and all this other stuff. Like it just wound up never happening. And now I'm at a point where I have zero desire to ever actually like competitively fight again. But, but that, I guess that was my, going to be my question was, was there a point where you were starting to think, hmm, this is a path that I want to go. Um, and what, well, let me take a step backwards. Let's, I want to touch on the military a little bit. Mm-hmm. While you were in high school, what were you thinking was going to be your adult life? Obviously, before you got into Muay Thai and started competing, but before that, what were you thinking was going to be adult life for you? Man, I I, I think I didn't have a strong 
idea. Like there was never like, I'm going to be a doctor or I'm going to be a businessman or whatever. Um, until I basically decided I was going to go in the military. So around, around probably the same time that I started training martial arts was around the time that I kind of was like interested in going to the military. My dad had been in the Navy. My grandpa had been in the Navy. Um, but again, my dad being the cool guy that he is never pressured or pursued. Like, you know, if you asked him, he would say, he was very proud that I joined the military, but it was never, ever a thing like pushing me towards it at all. Um, but you know, you grow up, you see the, the pictures on the wall and like all the, you know, the, all the stuff I was always like looking at my dad's old, like military uniforms and medals and stuff. And he only did, he, he was in for five years. Um, he was a sub guy and then he was also scuba certified. So he was the diver on the sub. And so like, I thought that was super cool. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of like, I knew that I didn't want to do something boring. That was really, that was all I knew. That's all I knew. Is I that just don't want to do something boring. I don't want to like sit right here all day. And That's at the top of everyone's resume. Yeah. I, I mean, don't, I, I think a lot of people do. I mean, and, and I mean, we can get into the whole thing, but like, I think for a lot of people, especially if you're high energy and you're, you're you know, like it's, it's not really that natural to do like your humans have not been doing these type of things up until, you know, very recently. So I, I, I knew in my heart, I'm like, this is not, like, I don't want to do like a traditional like job. And then again, I think a lot of people that join the military, they, that you see the highlight video, you see, you see so you think that's all going to be, and then you turn out sitting, you sit at a, lot, a desk a lot more often than you think you were going to it's kind of like going to a movie. Wait, the, previews were the best part yeah, of the entire yeah, movie. Yeah. Yeah. No one said there was going to be a 30 minute dialogue scene. Like <laughs> where would all the shooting go? You know? So yeah. Um, so I can't think kind of the first time that I had even an idea of, of what I thought I might do. It was sort of, um, it was military. And so right after graduation, you went straight into the military. Um, after graduating <laughs> college. Yeah. No, so I, I asked that facetiously cause you didn't go oh, right into right, the right. military. Yeah. So, well, I actually, so I, I toyed with a few different things. So I actually did, uh, I did the delayed entry program in high school and I was going to, what my original plan was going to be, I was going to do Navy reserves through, cause I was like, I want to be in the military. Um, but Florida has a great program called bright future scholarship, where if you have like a certain GPA and SAT score, like they'll, they, they pay tuition hundred percent free. So I actually qualified for, for that program. So I could go to any state Florida school and it was completely paid for. Um, so I was like, well, you know, and my parents were both, were all like, yeah, I mean, you have that, like you might as well use it, you know, if you want to join the military, like you can figure out kind of a way to do both. So that's what I was trying to do. So I was going to do Navy reserves and, um, just like basically go to boot camp after call after high school, be in the reserves through college was what my original plan was. And then that, that recruiter at the time, um, this guy, Nelson Vega, who was like, really a great, like you hear a lot of bad recruiter stories, you know, this guy was a, 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 he's a great guy. And, and he really was like, helped me out and led me. He's like, you know, you, you don't have like you, there's these other options. And it, basically what he essentially did was he helped me get a, an ROTC scholarship as well. So then, cause you know, I don't know at that age, I just didn't really, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So I wasn't even sure. I didn't know how the officer enlisted thing worked. I didn't know a lot. So he helped me. He was like, maybe this, um, going the reserve. And again, like for his numbers, he's a enlisted recruiter. Like me going to RTC, I don't think really helped him at all. It probably would have been better for him if I'd done the reserve <laughs> thing. So good on Nelson. He's a great guy. Was Navy always your first choice? 
Yeah, because my dad was Navy, and I was just, like, super into the ocean. You know, I thought, I, and I knew, like, if you, you get um, stationed, like, by the beach. So I was like, that'll be, that'll be cool. I mean, I toyed with, I, well, I guess going back, you know what? When I was younger, when I was in middle school, I did have, like, a dream. I, I wanted to be a, a recon sniper. I read uh, that, that uh, the Carlos Hatchcock book, mm-hmm. um, and I was just, like, thought that was super cool. And then at the time, like, History Channel was showing all, it was, like, I don't know. They were just like had a hard on for Marine snipers. I think I thought the ghillie suit was sick. We were into paintball and I was like, like shooting. And so I kind of thought that, and then I found out like about like the Navy, Navy special operations and stuff. And I was like, Oh, you can do all that shit and like be, be at the water and, and not have to be like a crayon eating Marine, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I love Marine. Marines are like my favorite people, but obviously it's fun to joke. Um, so yeah, then, then I just like, but your interest was special operations. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, um, I read Lone Survivor, classic of the times. Right. And I'm like, oh, I want to be a SEAL. And um, so that was kind of my plan I was like, oh, I'll do. I don't know why at the time, but I just thought like, oh, just being in the military would be better than not go do the reserve thing, be through and then go out and then try and get into the program or something didn't obviously it's not like the best way to go route about it so i went in rtc with the intention of of going to be a seal officer so i do two years in my first two years of college were in rtc and then during that time the rtc program just sucked for me and it was like my first taste of what was a real military we're going like. back to the everybody telling me what i can and can't do yes yeah. yeah and so it was just a bummer they didn't really have a lot of um support for anyone going like into a special operations program. They had had previously had this like club for special ops, like to like do extra PT and stuff. But then that had disbanded after some people. And then at the time there was one guy, this guy, Jason, who was like a former Navy diver who was going EOD. And then later there was a a recon guy that came in that was going EOD. Um, But it really was like, just onesies, twosies, like here and there. So it wasn't really structured. And then uh, what I found out was like the CEO at the time, I think this is like a r- r- rumor or whatever, you know, on deployment, I think he had had some run-ins with younger, um, special ops guys, like kind of thinking they were, he, you know, he's like a Colonel. And I think they were just being assholes or some different, uh, interactions with people. So I think he kind of was like a little salty towards that community. Cause, and then, you know, after experiencing it being, I was like, okay, I could totally see how that would, <laughs> would happen. You know, that's not a, that's not a crazy you know, situation to dream up. So like, I get it now, but at the time I was like, man, like no one's, it's all, they're almost like trying to like, felt like they were sort of steering me like, yeah, well, you know, but, but it's being a SWO would be, you know, a surface warfare officer, that'd be fun. Wouldn't it? And I'm like, no, no. dude, not at all. <laughs> so after two years of that, I was like, man, I'm, I was like, fuck this. Basically I was just like, I'm done with RTC. This is terrible. I was, cause I started looking at my options. I'm like, dude, I can just get out of RTC. I don't need this scholarship. I already have the other scholarship and I'm just going to enlist. I'm going to enlist after I finish, um, college and I'm just going to go in. Cause at that time, because the RTC program didn't really have the resources towards any sort of special operations path. Like I had to kind of seek out mentors on my own. So I started trying to find, um, guys around that were in special operations and I'm talking to them. And a lot of them gave me the same advice, like like several people. I heard the same advice of like, you know, you don't like, you can always enlist first and then be an officer down the road. Like, and and then like the kind of idea was like, you can go do all the fun stuff, do five years. And if you really decide you want to be an officer and it is going to be a more, a more administrative role, that, that option is always there. But, um, I just heard that advice like several times and I was like, 
sure, I'm not getting any sort of guidance from anyone within this ROTC program. So I'm going to listen to these guys that are, have done what I actually want to do. So then it was like the best feeling in the world. It was like leaving that RTC program at the end of my sophomore year. And people, you know, obviously were like, what are you doing? And then I was telling them like, I'm still going to enlist. And they're like, okay, you know, they're thinking I'm just like done. I'm like, I'm going to. And then, you know, it was good and bad. Like it was good. Cause that wasn't really the best environment for me to thrive in anyways. But then I, it was like, being constrained through those first couple of years of college. Cause you're still doing PT at, you know, five in the morning, a few days a week, you have all these like commitments and, um, and then those were gone. And then I, at that point, you know, I had, had plenty of other friends in college that were outside of the RTC program. So then I joined a fraternity, I started bartending and my entire lifestyle just like, like shifted at that point. I, I find that hard to believe. Right. Yeah. I know it's <laughs> shocking. Um, but you know, at that point I had been, I still was training, you know, through, through I was still like at a, at a local gym and training a lot more, but, but yeah, those last couple of years, definitely I got a little off track and I started partying a lot and I was, it, I, was I was just really soaking up the college <laughs> experience at Florida state university, mind you, you know, so it's like horrible it's environment there. to go to it's college there. in. Yeah. And everything's good and bad. Right. And it's like, it's so funny how you can never be like, Oh, I would change this or that. I went, I met my wife bartending that was 10 years ago now, you know, and we just had our son six weeks ago. So it's like, you can look at these things that are maybe had some negative effects, but you never know how everything kind of works synergistically. So there's, there's also no way to know this, but this is again, more maybe just a rhetorical question. Do you think that if you hadn't done the first two years in ROTC with that structure, with that regiment mm -hmm. that you may have gone more off the rails if you'd have just gone through a four-year program. I, I do think that. I just think, I think all that's would have started earlier and that would have built up, built up. And then I would have had two extra years to compound at the point that it ended at, that I ultimately went in the military and thank God I had, I still had that military, but in hindsight, like it, it was just, it was just a ridiculous human being. Cause I'm like, I'm going to go and, and after this is all done, after I'm done with this phase, I'm going to just immediately contrast into like the most difficult military training that like exists in the world. And because of my ego and thinking I am who, who I am and I, I can do whatever I want to do kind of thing. Like it's, it's going to be no problem. So in hindsight, so basically, I mean, you know, so I go, I graduate college Two weeks later, I leave for boot camp. I get to boot camp, and I think I probably had like the most stark contrast of all of my friends, like in my boot camp class, of like former life versus now. Because I was a frat guy, party bartender, blacking out like majority nights of the week, partying, still getting up and doing my long runs and my swims and stuff, but like not really committed to what my goals were. At all. And you're going in your 22, 23. 22. Yeah. So even just that four years over the most 18 year olds coming out of high school, that's got to seem like an, a lifetime of experience. Like college wise, like those yeah, four just, years, just of, those. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, what's interesting is, is comparing when, the, when I would say you compared to them and them looking at you, even though it's only been four years, that's got to see that probably seemed like you'd already done so much, but, but not really because so what 
Um, and I, and I think I'd heard recently they, they, they might've switched this up, but I don't know if you're familiar with like how they did it. Well, so in Navy boot camp, what they, they did at a point was they had 800 divisions. So they had a separate, you had a separate division for anyone going into a, a special program. So it was like divers, EOD, seal, SWIC, um, were all in a separate, um, division. So I was in with all other guys that were pursuing special programs. So actually the, like the, the, I would say the median age was probably around my age. So most of the guys there, there was a few, there was only like maybe three or four kids that were like fresh out of high school. Most of the people there, there were guys that were like 30. There were guys that had like full on careers. Um, and, and I was surprised by that at the time, I think. But then after being in, like I, I, a lot of my friends that I know personally, like one of my closest friends from EOD was a, he was a commercial pilot, <laughs> like before he was out, you know? So it's just like, like these like guys have, and guys have master's programs. A, a, a friend of mine has a, had a PhD in theoretical particle physics and enlisted in the Navy, <laughs> you know? So, so you have guys from all sorts wow. of really interesting walks of life and, um, a lot more mature than I would say, say like your, your, your typical, um, boot camp class of like where you do have a lot of people like coming out of high school, it's going to be like their first real foray into adulthood. And so you specifically went in with a special forces contract. Yeah. Yeah. Specifically for EOD. No, specifically for seal. And I, um, so yeah, this is where, this is where the story goes. So yeah. So I went to, went through boot camp, went through all the, everything, got to buds and wound up quitting. I quit buds because I mean, because of whatever you want to say, but after doing a lot of, you know, this years down the road, look, this is all stuff. This is nothing that I had figured out at the time. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Just, so this is all like kind of looking back and, and realizing, you know, I heard this, this quote, it was like, don't be surprised by the results you get from the work you didn't do. And that's, I think really what that situation was. And then for a long time, um, you know, after quitting buds and like basically like feeling like failing on this dream that I'd had, you know, I was just like, I'm a, I'm a quitter. Like that's who I am. Um, and you know, that, that's it. Right. Did, did the quitting come from you over exaggerating, letting ego get involved thinking, Oh, it's no big deal. I can get through it. I work out a lot. Or is it more of not, well, or is it an equal amount of just not doing enough research as to what was going to be expected? No, I, I think on the research side, I was, I, I mean, as far as like what, you know, things are a lot different now with, with the, with the internet, you know, that's like early days of YouTube, right? So right. there's not, and I remember like at that age, like trying to find whatever I could like on information on now, I mean, there's like a thousand Instagram pages you could look at and so many YouTube videos and stuff. But like I'd gotten a lot of books. I watched whatever I could, you know, as far as like information on it. And I I think I was as well informed as you could be at that time. But I think it was just like my ego saying like you can do whatever you want to do and you don't have to like put in the work that's necessary to actually do it just because you are who you are in my mind, you know, you're the man and you'll be able to, to get through this. And when you find out like maybe you're not the man and maybe the, the man has to build himself up to that, you know, it's kind of a hard pill to swallow at the time. So fortunately I got super lucky and they had uh, an EOD contract available like right out of buds and me and some other guys, um, 
from my class, we, we got the opportunity to go pursue EOD. And at that time, I mean, it was really just, all right, I'm not going to go through this feeling again. Like there was a, a deep fire to now get through the, the EOD pipeline. Cause I'm like, I'm already a fucking loser. Like in my mind, I'm like, I've fa- failed really beating myself up. Um, I'm not going to let that happen again. Right. <laughs> I'm not going to be a double loser in my, in my <laughs> mind. Um, so fortunately got, got through, through EOD, but, but throughout that whole time, still dealing with just a lot of, a lot of baggage and trying to just figure out like where it all went wrong. Like, what is this? a Is this just like a, a defect of me who I am? Can I not handle it? You know? And then like feeling kind of, um, insecure throughout then the next pipeline and through that process and, and all that stuff. But you know, these things that take like years to sort of look back on and see where they go and, you know, figure things out about yourself. Between Uh, going to buds and going to EOD, did you seek out any, what I'll refer to as a legitimate mentor, somebody who was already in that community? No. Um, no, I, I, honestly, I think I was, just probably like a, like ashamed. And I kind of just like wanted to hide in to myself and like, just like put my head down, like get through, don't expose like who you are. You know, sometimes in those early days, like they would come in and, and, and be like, who's the bud stud? Like who, and they, they would like key in on it and stuff. And then sometimes you'd find out later on that that guy himself was, a bud stud <laughs> or something. but, uh, yeah, it was just, it just, it felt like a, an identity at the time. And I, and an identity that I did not want any, part of it almost felt maybe like going back to, to high school and like being picked on. And I'm like, wait, I'm not this person though, but I'm labeled as this person, but I am, you know, so it's just like, you know, this is that not inner, who I want to be inner struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think finding that, that why and sort of getting some, some reason behind it and, and realizing that it's just like, yeah, I mean, like it, it happened. It is what it is, but it's not like who you are you know, and, and, and you, and then proving yourself, all right, if you put the work in and, and you get the reps and you do the right things and you build that resiliency, like it, it is something that's built. There are, don't get me wrong. There's probably some guys that out, out there that can live that type of lifestyle. And then the next day, um, you know, go and do the hardest thing in the world. Like it's possible. But I, I think for me, I had lived two years of my life getting reps in of, of being kind of a, like a dirt bag, not fully dirt bag, but like way more so than what I, what, what was necessary for the goals that I had, you know, you, you probably put a lot more of it on yourself than probably it really needed to be. Oh yeah. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. But you know, at that point that had been, you know, like I said, I was probably like 17 when I decided that's what I want to want to do. So at that point, by the time that dream ended, it was, that was six years of thinking, all right, this is, this is what I want to do. But then again, if you look back on my actions over course of several of those years, was it really what I want? Or, you know, I mean, to what degree, if you're not doing the work to, to get the results that you want, then do you really want it? Ultimately though, you made it. Yeah. You ultimately served six years. When you went in on your first enlistment, was your plan just one enlistment and out? Um, I was pretty open to staying in again. I was still like thinking, man, I, there's really nothing else that I know that I want to do. Everything else seems, seems pretty, pretty boring and and lame and I don't want to be a desk. And so like, I'm like, you know, military and then, you know, you're going through the pipeline, going, going through all this training and stuff and it, and it sucks for a while. 
And then you get towards like, you know, the EOD pipeline is a, a pretty long pipeline. You go through like a dive prep in Great Lakes, and then you go to dive school for a couple months in Panama City. Then you have a full year at Eglin, uh, Eglin Air Force Base in Fort Walton Beach, Destin, Florida. And you are, you go through nine months of conventional EOD that all the branches go through. So you got Navy, Air Force, Army, and Marine Corps all go through the conventional EOD. And then you have an additional three months for Navy EOD um, for underwater. So then you, you do dive school first, you do all the full EOD, and then you get back in the water with the underwater. So then you combine the diving with the ordnance side. So you have another three months. Then you, you finish that, and then you go, to, uh, you go to jump school in Fort Benning, and then you go to a month-long uh, ECS school, like shooting, mostly shooting stuff in Mississippi. And then you get out to San Diego, and you have another month of TAC training, which is um, some like air ops and comms, more shooting and, and that, that stuff. And then you get to your team. So you have a, a pretty long pipeline and then the, the earlier parts of that kind of suck. There's fun parts in there, of course, but it's, you know, you're, you're, it's, it's a dick drag for a lot of it. And then you, those latter ones are, are kind of fun. You, you, you're shooting that, that month in San Diego is really fun, <laughs> that tax training. So then you're thinking, oh man, like you're just, you're, you're, you're operating, you're doing all this shit. Like it's like quick pace, it's fun. And you're kind of thinking, you're getting set up like this is what it's going to be like when I get to the mobile unit, once I get on on a team. And then... In my situation, I think it was just bad timing for my class. So we got to the mobile unit and there weren't platoons ready. So we wound up sitting in like the readiness and training department for like almost five months before any of us kind of teamed up. And so what year is this? This is in 2014 or 15. Um, and then so we got some opportunity to go to some schools and stuff. I got to go to free fall during that time. Um but, but for the most part, you're kind of like sitting around there trying to be productive with their time, like run drills and stuff. But for the most, a lot of, you're, you're doing chores, <laughs> you're running <laughs> around getting R checks done on vehicles and stuff. So, so it kind of like you're getting hyped, you're getting hyped and then you get there and it's kind of not what you expected a little bit. Um, and then, so I finally get on a platoon and then we do a, um, a VSW, very shallow water, but essentially we were doing like the kind of operation that like, you know. Normandy, when the amphibious vehicles are arriving, you know, beforehand, the old school, like original UDT guys go and they, they clear all Beach clearing. Yeah, exactly. So that's, so we're, so the very shallow water zone, the 40 foot and up. So we were doing that kind of operation. Um, and we deployed to Guam and then from Guam, we do a bunch of stuff around a bunch like Southeast Asia. And then I was like, all right, um, I was feeling it, got to the mobile unit, not exactly what I thought it was going to be. Um, but on a team or doing stuff again, I'm going to basically give myself, um, this deployment to sort of wait till I make up my mind. Cause by the end of the deployment, then I would have another year, year and a half left in the military and I'll, and I'll see if I want to reenlist at that point. Um, and then I didn't have a great OIC on the platoon. So he kind of dragged down, um, that experience a little bit. Um, and then throughout deployment realized like it's fun and we're doing stuff, but, like we talked Been about a little bit earlier. I'm like, I like my life in San Diego. Like, um, thinking, you know, this is me considering, do I want to stay in and make a career or, or at least do a few more years of this? And, you know, I missed my wife. I missed my, my gym. I missed just like my lifestyle I had here in, in San Diego. Um, and I realized how much luck there is in the military as far as placement of, particular jobs, you know, it's like you're, you're getting shifted around to different, different platoons at different positions all the time. And then you're stuck there for a couple of years. So yeah, you can get lucky and get put on a great platoon with great people with a great mission and have a really excellent time. But if even one of those things are out of whack, like it can seriously affect one guy 
on an eight person team, especially if they're in a leadership position can really alter the course of your next two years of your life. And so that, that ultimately was like, I was like, I, I think I'm going to be, be good on, on this after, after one. So at the, by the end of that deployment about, I pretty much decided like, all right, I'm going to decide to get out. And at that point, like I didn't really have a plan at all. Like no plan. It was just, once I got that seed of, I'm going to get out in my head, it was that grew a lot. And I was like, get out, get out, get out. And like, you know, you're creating this like <laughs> other side of the gate, almost this idea of like what this other side is going to, going to be like, and you're like, no one's going to, um, no one's going to be calling me for muster. I can go out of town and not have to like leave the, uh, you know, the 300 mile leave radius and like not have to like sneak around on weekend trips. Cause I don't want to take leave, you know, all this shit. And, um, so yeah, I just was like pretty, pretty hard up on, on getting out at that point. And then the, and the problem is that that's, you know, it ble- bleeds into the rest of your attitude. So everything kind of starts to be like, Oh, this sucks. I can't wait to be out versus like we were talking about earlier. Like, all right, got another year and a half of this. Like, let's make the best of it. It's going to be fun at times. Sure. It's going to be shitty times too, but make the best of it. And we'll just, you know, this year and a half will be more enjoyable for everyone. And it's not, I wasn't like a, I wasn't a problem for anyone. It's not like I was causing issues or it was just within my, within my internally myself. you yeah. were done. You yeah, were checked yeah, out. Yeah. You yeah. Were just I was still doing it. a good, you know, I was still doing what people needed me to do and I was helping out and stuff like that. But, but internally, I think every day when I woke up and had to go in, I, I would have been a lot happier if I would have kind of accepted it a little more and, and not realized, all right, this is the circumstance we're in. It doesn't have to suck that much. So through your enlistment, were you able to keep training martial arts? Yeah. Yeah. So so yeah, kind of that whole martial arts journey was, I trained for through college a little bit, those couple of latter years, not near, I would go in from time to time, but like not so much. And then like the first year, year and a half of, uh, of my enlistment, I didn't really get to train at all. Cause like went through all the initial, you know, boot camp, initial, uh, pre buds, buds back to great lakes for, um, for dive prep, then dive school. Um, didn't train at all through that, but then EOD school, it's a longer program and there's times that are like more physically demanding, but a lot of it's, um, more like men, there are teaching you skills throughout the whole time. So it's like, it's not nearly as physical as like buds is. So it's like, you do have time and really you probably just want to sleep, but I was so ready to get back to jujitsu at that point and, and kind of realizing, you know, throughout, I'm like looking back on these times, like, Oh, when was my life? Or like, when was I not really doing what I should have been doing? When was my life like not as optimal? It's like, well, there's one thing for sure that I wasn't training through any, any of that time <laughs> or at least training nearly as much as I should have been. So I kind of realized that that was sort of a guiding uh, light through my life. It was like jujitsu was something that would help me a lot. So I kind of made it like a point of, um, I did a little bit of research and I realized, all right, once I get to EOD school and once I get to Fort Walton, like I should be able to train so I found a great gym there called Capital, um, like two really awesome black belts, Daniel and Danny, and, and like just like a great team out there. So I actually like we would, you know, get up, do early morning study sesh, PT, whole, all class and like be done, you know, go from like 5 a.m. to 5 a.m. and then or 5 p.m. Then I would go to jujitsu like um, a few nights a week whenever they offered it. So I trained through all of EOD school there and then trained a little bit along those like next couple schools. I was just like start visiting gyms and then I got to San Diego and then I was like, that's when I've really like recommitted to, like training hard. Anytime I was home, anytime I wasn't away at, at like a, a school or on like a deployment and then through deployment I trained. So yeah, 
from then on out, it was like back to jujitsu kind of recentered, refound myself, um, through jujitsu. What was the catalyst to, to move away from specifically Muay Thai training to just jujitsu? So when I met, so Marcelo so was my, my first jujitsu instructor. He was like the MMA coach as well. And, um, nothing against my, my Muay Thai instructor at all, but he was just a little, he was just like a little more reserved, a little more quiet. Uh, and Marcelo just kind of took me and like under his wing, like fully. And I don't know. I think I did once I got over that initial awkwardness, I think that everyone experiences with, with grappling with jujitsu. And then like, you realize you kind of start to understand what you're doing a little bit. I was like, Oh, this is really fun. Um, and I just saw the effectiveness of it as well. And then, so, I, I mean, I, I kept training. I mean, I still do a little bit of striking here and there. I think everyone, if you're doing jujitsu, you should have a, at least somewhat of a foundation in striking as well. Um, especially as jujitsu kind of diverts into these different paths where you have the more sporty side now, where you have people that are getting to potentially purple belt and have never been hit in the face. I don't think that's a good thing at all. Um, so yeah, I just kind of, you know, and then now as I'm older, like time wise, realistically, like I would love to be able to do a couple Muay Thai classes a week, but the time that I have to train, like jiu-jitsu is so fun. It's what I want to get better at. It's, you know, so I, I still do some striking and, and I'll get together with friends and we'll do like some MMA training and stuff like that. But, but as far as what the time that I have, I like to, I just like jiu-jitsu, you know? So you're coming towards the end of your enlistment you said previously that you had no plan. So did mm -hmm. you literally process out with no idea what you were going to do? No. So in that year, um, that, that, that final year, I basically, there was no other, um, there was no other platoons that were within. So once I got back from the, I only did one deployment in my time in the military. Um, and that's again, what I was talking about with like, just realizing luck has a lot to do with it. Like there was a lot of things that I wanted to do. And I was like trying to like, move things around to try and get to do like a cooler deployment. And, um, but really a lot of that stuff's out of your control. So I wound up going into like basically the readiness and training department and I was sort of helping doing all that. And then the good thing about EOD is when you're in that, we work with secret service as well. So I did get some cool missions out of that. I got to go do a gig, um, two separate months, one in New York working Trump tower and then one this, you know, and then one in, um, in DC working at the white house and just doing like, like, like bomb stuff with the, uh, augmenting secret service. So those are really, and then, and then also international, we did with the Laos and did some stuff like that. And then just vips is all over. Um, so that was a cool opportunity. Although I didn't get a deployment, like I would not have had, uh, that experience of doing the secret service stuff. Had I not been like in readiness and training, which I initially thought was going to be me just sitting there and helping run drills. So that was kind of cool the last year, but that was like, you know, a month here, a couple weeks there, a month here. So there was still a lot of time to sort of chill. So I was figuring out what I wanted to do. And then, um, it was like, well, I have the GI bill, you know, I have my undergrad. I did my, my undergrad in history just because it was paid for. <laughs> I'd had, I was interested in, I had no plan. I'm not going in the military. Like I, it doesn't really matter what my degree is. It just, I'm going to do history because I mentioned it. Obviously I'm not a historian. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it really was like, whatever. So, um, I like school enough at, at that point or I got to the point where I was starting to try and educate myself. You know, I was, I was getting back into reading for pleasure, seeking out information through podcasts and stuff like that. And just trying to like, you know, just build my knowledge base and become more aware of things and understand how things work and whatever. So I kind of redeveloped like an interest in education. So I had the GI bill. So I'm like, all right, let me, I'll probably go to school thinking 
basically just because I don't have another plan and you got your GI bill, the school's paid for you, you get your BAH still. So it's like, all right, I got this kind of cushiony time in between. So figuring out kind of what I wanted to pursue, that was difficult too. I'm like thinking of my interests for a while. I was really thinking I was going to pursue psychology. I was just kind of like interested. I was listening, reading some books at the time or, you know, into the human mind and like how everything works. I was pretty interested in it. But I was like, I don't want to be, I'm like, don't make the same mistake you did in your undergrad, right? Like just cause you're interested in something doesn't necessarily mean you got to go to school for it. I'm going to remind you, you don't want to sit behind a desk all day. Yeah. 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 And well, I mean like, well, this is sitting at a desk, but we're chatting, we're having right. a great time. Right. I love being with people talking. So I thought there, but then it's like, I like we're, we're shooting the shit. I don't necessarily want to sit here for two hours and hear about all your problems. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you, you feel free to tell me, but you know, as a friend, but whatever, like, I don't want to do that with strangers in and out. So you, when you start to realistically think just cause you're interested in something doesn't mean you want to work in that. And I guess this is just like advice for people as they're getting out. Don't just start thinking about your interests. Think about what you would enjoy doing for work. Um, so I kind of played around with a few things and then I sort of, then I kind of looked into the MBA and in, into in business school. And at the time I had kind of started like a little, uh, I'd sold a couple things like e-commerce through Amazon. And I was like, okay, like I could definitely do this. I sort of had like an entrepreneurial streak. Um, but I didn't necessarily think for sure I wanted to start a company, but I'm thinking business is pretty broad. There is so many avenues. And as far as like selecting a grad program, I think the MBA is probably leaves the most options open. So you can make a commitment to go to business school um, without really making a commitment on what exactly you're going to do within business. There's so many things, you know, versus getting a master's in psychology. You got a few avenues to choose from getting a master's in business, pretty open. So that's kind of why I selected um, the MBA, like doing, doing business school was to kind of give me more time <laughs> to figure it out. So I'm like, all right, I don't have exactly, what I, I think doing something in business I, I would be interested in and I'll have two years to sort of dial it in and figure out from there. So even when I got out, I, I at least, I didn't know exactly what I want to do, but I kind of narrowed it, it down a little more. I would imagine also too, going through a, a, a quality MBA program, the, the networking capabilities through their program through the people that they bring to the program to teach or to mentor has to be beneficial. Uh, yeah. I mean, what was, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed my MBA. I, I thought I for sure thought I wasn't going to like really make super strong connections with my fellow classmates. Cause I'm thinking what they want to do and what I want to do and what I've done and what they've done are probably going to be so different, but I was, I have, in San Diego, like still a lot of my close friends, I, I, I finished in 2020 and we still hang out all the time. We have like a little squad from, from business school that we like, I hang out with and they're like really close friends of mine. So I was super surprised by that, which was awesome. Do you have a bunch of former military in your program? Um, not a lot. We had a handful. Um, and even of those people, like my closer friends were, were, were civilians, you know, that never had done military stuff, but it was cool. A lot of them, like, it was weird. Weirdly, like a lot of them surfed. So we just started surfing together and hanging out. And, and I was a requirement to live in San Diego. It, it should be, <laughs> I think I, well, not really. Cause then you don't, the lineups are already crowded enough. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, fortunately I think the water's cold enough to keep, keep people out that really don't want to do it all that much. Um, but yeah, business school was super great. I mean, it was fun. I so I went to U university of San Diego here and that was kind of, within my decision-making process. Like I did apply to a few other schools outside of San Diego, but I was like, 
I really love San Diego and I, I love my life here. And we, we, I, you know, my mom's side of the family is all here and they're all awesome. And I was like, sure, we could move somewhere for a couple of years, but just things were going good in San Diego. And I, I didn't really want to leave all that much. Um, so University of San Diego has a great program. It's a private school, so it's relatively small, but I was able to use, um, they do the yellow ribbon program to supplement. So just for, for people, if you guys are looking to go into like a grad program after getting out of the military, your um, GI bill will, will cover any public school. Like they'll cover whatever the tuition is, but, but for private schools, they take the national average. So USD was a, a decent bit higher than what the national average. And it's funny because the public schools in, in California and the private schools are around the same tuition, but they'll, the VA or the, they'll cover all of the public <laughs> school, but they, so whatever, but, uh, they have the yellow ribbon program that's through the VA and the school, they kind of go half and half and they supplement a part of it. And then USD, um, also offers a scholarship for veteran or for veterans getting out, going into the program that they'll cover whatever's left over. So it was still, I still didn't have to pay anything out of pocket to go do, um, grad school and, yeah, applying for that thing. scholarship. What's that time period like for somebody who might be interested in doing it? I mean, earlier is always better. You know, most um, business schools, like if you're looking at grad program versus undergrad, typically you have an easier time, um, like getting in touch with people and talking to people at the university. If you're doing grad, just because it's a smaller pool, um, you know, you have however many thousands of people applying for undergrad, like a lot smaller people typically doing for grad. And so they have people designated to, to reach out and, and talk to, talk to you about it. Um, but they, they do rounds, you know, whatever school you're looking at, just look at their deadline dates. I would try, it's hard with the military because sometimes, you know, I've known people that have had to do some funny stuff with enlistment, you know, adding on a few, a couple of months here. And a lot of times they'll work with you, but it's, it can be challenging, obviously, if you're getting out and then your, your, your school starts however many months later and you're trying to figure out what to do in that in between time. But, you know, it's just, you got to take it case by case, I would say. Do you have any issues transitioning back to the civilian world? No, dude, I did not at all. Um, I think because of jujitsu largely, um, I was, I had so many friends we had, a, well, A, we had a cool neighborhood in Ocean Beach. So a lot of my neighbors I was friends with. Um, I still had kept in touch with a lot of like old friends and through jujitsu, I had like a ton of friends, all San Diego. So that was a big thing getting out too, where, where, you know, you have those guys that I think it's based out of their own insecurity that are just trying to scare you about the civilian life and getting out and like, oh, what are you going to do? I'm like, well, I don't know yet, but I do know I have a hundred friends that live here in San Diego and they're doing all sorts of things. And somehow they're like, they have a roof and they got food and like, it's all good. Like the military, you know, can hold your hands so much, especially if you are going in, you know, maybe out of a high school, that's, that's all you've known. Um, so I would just say to people, if like they're active, like just start to branch out a little from your military. If you're thinking about getting out and you don't maybe have like a, a big, you know, community that are, outside of the military, like start to try and find that there's, if you live in an area like San Diego, like there's intramural leagues, there's all sorts of clubs and activities, start jujitsu. Like you will make a lot of friends through jujitsu. Um, all that stuff, like 
make civilian friends. So if you want to be a civilian, it's not like it's a civilian, you know, I hate to say it's like people aren't that different, you know, whatever walk of life they choose. But yeah, I was so entrenched in a civilian world already that to me, I already, I kind of felt like I was like one leg out the whole time. Well, and and you're, you're bringing up something that's been a a reoccurring theme on, on several of the episodes that people have talked about both first responder and military. We do one of the bad things that we do when we get into those communities is we insulate ourselves with just people from those communities. And we don't have the, we don't force ourselves to look outside of those communities. Mm -hmm. And then when you find that in the worst case, maybe you weren't planning on getting out, but you got forced out injury, whatever. Now, all of a sudden you're like literally a fish out of water because you don't know where to go. Whereas if you just took that time leading up just for your own mental health, yeah, go do something that's away from that community for balance. A hundred percent with every, I mean, people, we all tend to, I identify with and find identity within whatever it is that we're like into the most. So, I mean, I, I know jujitsu guys that are like, they are a jujitsu guy. That is who they are. You know, I'm sure you, you, you can take all different, you know, I'm a hunter. Like I'm an outdoorsman. That is who I am. I am a military guy that, you know, that's who I am. If you find yourself in that lane of like, I am this person, like you should definitely try your best to find something else that maybe you can then, even if you're not like, all right, I'm not this person. Like I'm a military guy, but I'm also a, this guy, you know, cause if you get your, your identity so wrapped up, I mean, into one particular thing, a, you're, you're, you're within constraints and within a boundary and, and you might miss out on some things because you think, Oh, well, I'm a military, a military guy doesn't do that stuff. You know, I'm a military guy for whatever, whatever it may be. But also, like you said, if you, if that gets taken away from you unexpectedly, you know, I, I suffered a, a pretty bad back injury that took me off the mat at a time where I was super into training for close to a year of like not being able to legitimately train. Um, and like those things will happen to you. Like things will change and things that you love and things that maybe are a, a deep part of who you are can get pulled away from you. And if you don't have at least something else that you can kind of go towards and find solace in, like that's a real hard transition, a real hard shift. So if you're in the military, yeah. Yeah. I mean, being the military guy is never really optimal, you know, try to find, be the military guy who's also into this or that. Well, you know? never, never being one single focused yeah. person, guy, exactly. woman, you know, you, you, you put it in a good analogy. You know, we, we get into a lane and, and I've even said to people before, get in your lane and, and you can be in your lane and be happy, but just look at one lane over. We're not talking going from the fast lane to the slow lane. You know, but just kind of move a little bit and, yeah. and for, and I always come back to, it's about balance in your life. You know, one of the things that, that for me, when I went from working patrol to working a detective and you're working Monday through Friday, 8am to 5pm, all of a sudden you reconnect with all of what we used to refer to as our normal friends, mm. people that weren't working weekend nights, you yeah, know, with yeah. Tuesdays and Wednesdays off. Right. And that's, yeah, sometimes circumstances kind of do the opposite of what we're talking about. They they kind of force you to maybe be a a little more insulated than you want to be, but you got to at least make that effort, you know, to to try to, to be outside of single boxes, you know, going back a little bit, you, you mentioned how your family, mom and dad was always been supportive your whole life of your decisions and, and going in the military from your 
personal life, your, your wife, mm-hmm. if you had decided to stay in, was she supportive or did she want you to come out? No, she was super supportive. I mean, she would have been there regardless. Um, I don't remember like a time where she even like mentioned, I, I think you should get out or I want you to get out only maybe at the time where I was very much of that opinion. Did she maybe agree? Like, yeah, it'll be great. Um, but you know, we did the one deployment for, for six months and I, that's a challenge for, for any relationship to a degree. Um, but at that point, like we were, I don't know, we, we'd done, and, and I've had, you know, we'd, we met when I was 21, you know, and I was at that time partying and being an idiot. So like, we've gone through shit in our relationship too. And fortunately it happened I'm early I'm sure she says you're still an idiot on. today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> More often than not. But, <laughs> Just um, older, he's still an idiot. Yeah, yeah. But you know, at that point, you know, we were pretty solid in our relationship. And, and I think as far as the deployment goes, like it, it went as well as it, it could have gone within a relationship standard. And then we've tested the boundaries the other way. We, throughout COVID we lived, we took, I renovated a, a van and we went and traveled around for a year. So, you know, we've done the six months, didn't see each other and we've done a year living in, you know, on top of each other. Uh, yeah. Literally. Yeah. So like, I'm super fortunate to have my wife and her be who she is and her support me. And through the military, through flow hold to, through like deciding what I wanted to do, you know, I'm going to business school. A lot of people are like getting some pretty nice jobs, like after business school, going into, you know, work for corporations. And, and I think a lot of spouses maybe would have been like, Hey, you know, that guaranteed, like really nice salary that you could definitely like go do if you wanted to pursue that. Like, why don't you do that? But no, she never like pushed me in that direction at all. It was like, she's super supportive. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, we've, we've built that, that trust, uh, you know, over the years. And so, so you just mentioned it flow hold. Yeah. When, what was the catalyst for you to say, okay, I'm in my MBA program. I want to do my own business. I don't want to work for somebody else. How did the idea come about and where to grow from? Yeah. So that, I think a huge benefit of business school, like I said, like I went into it thinking, all right, this will give me a couple of years to sort of figure some stuff out. Well, fortunately in that couple of years, you get exposed to all sorts of stuff. You know, if it's a good school, so we do company visits, we'd have people come in and like give talks and you know, you get, you just get to see a lot of stuff. So I, it, it didn't take long for me to be like, yeah, I'm still not into the corporate sitting at a desk world. Um, so I kind of shifted like my fo- my focuses during my MBA were, um, marketing and entrepreneurship. And then I started flow hold while I was in business school, just as sort of a way to bring in a little extra money and just like, let me just kind of mess around, start this thing. Um, Were you, was your intention only for it to be an apparel company? Dude. What, so what flow hold actually start out and it's like so corny now. And I look back and it, but it's like one of those things, whatever I, so flow hold started was it was going to be a sock company like socks. So at the time it was like at the time, you know, 2018, the, the, the wild wacky socks were like all the, you know, everyone's like in their suits and like, but I got wackies, you know, I might look like a square, but I got wacky <laughs> socks. Like I got personality. I got my dog's face. Yeah, on my socks. yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm thinking, all right, like, you know, and, and now I'm going from the military. I'm, I'm wearing like shirts, t-shirts and, or a uniform, um, to now I'm in business school and I got to like dress up a little bit. So I'm kind of getting different clothes and I'm, like 
wacky socks are cool. I'm like, man, it'd be cool if I had some like jujitsu socks. And I was like, I'd already done a couple products like on Amazon, like I was saying, like the e-commerce stuff. So I kind of had already sort of started to navigate the manufacturing and, and working with other people to kind of go from ideation to physical product, that whole, um, course. So I was like, okay, it won't be too difficult to just make some socks. And I was like, I'll just do this little, I'll make a couple of SKUs. I'll make a little brand out of it and just see how it works. And I talked to a couple of people like, yeah, sure. It'll be good. And in I'm like, it's not probably the best part. Like how many people like need or want like jujitsu socks? Like not, but the thing was I seek, like I did want to start a brand. The only thing that would have made it better is if you did jujitsu neckties to oh, go with yeah, the socks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like choke me here. Um, that might've hit, hit a different audience though. We might've gone outside the jujitsu audience. You gotta be careful wearing choke me <laughs> stuff, you know? Um, but yeah, you know, I think again, it was like maybe the confidence thing of like, if I just say I'm going to start a jujitsu brand or like a clothing brand, it's like, who, who are you? Oh, you think you make like cool stuff that people are going to like, 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 I don't know. It's just, so I thought I needed to niche down more. Um, and then, you know, as, as it happens, obviously the socks weren't the best idea in the world. They were fine, but not the best idea. But you know, I, I had my buddy, my buddy Albon, who's like a super close friend of mine who I met in the hardcore music scene back in Florida. And we're still really good friends. He's a graphic designer. So I kind of had like drawn up, drawn up like the ideas that I wanted for the brand and the logo and stuff. And then he took it and made it like made the, the flow hold logo and stuff. And, and so I made the socks and, and some shirts initially. And then people liked the brand. They liked the, the name. They thought the logo was cool. This is like the t-shirts are selling really well. And I was like, all right, well, I'll try, you know, I'd done the Amazon thing with a couple products. And I'm like, all right, well, like I've seen the shorts that are kind of in the lower price range on Amazon currently. Like, I think I can make like a cooler brand. That's like more of a, has like a board short, like better feel, better fit kind of thing. So then I made shorts and those start going. And then it was like, I'm like, dude, I can just, this can be a jujitsu brand. Like I don't have to be a niche of socks. <laughs> like I can make a brand. People are resonating with what I've done so far. I think if I, you know, apply myself towards it, like people will be into it. So then it kind of stayed like sort of a hobby type thing through business school. And then I graduated school. My wife and I, we, we converted the van and we traveled around for that year. So then I was still like, you know, being able to sell stuff through Amazon. Cause that doesn't, uh, forced me to be like in person doing things like shipping and receiving. So I could send the stuff to Amazon and they could sell it. So I was still kind of doing it there. But then once we got back here, uh, a little less than a year ago was, I was, I was when I decided like, all right, I'm going to really invest my time and energy into flow hold. And like, cause at that, you know, every time that I felt myself allowing, uh, myself to put more energy into it, like the results were, were positive. The feedback was positive. People start, hitting me up on Instagram all the message. Oh, this is sick. Like, you know, it, it may not, if you guys like a brand or whatever, like if, and if it's a smaller brand, you know, like that's great. Like that feels so good for the people doing that because in the early stages of starting a company and especially something like a brand that kind of has an identity and a, and a community kind of attached to it. Like when you feel like it's resonating with people, like that's just such good fuel to like keep it going. So if you guys like like a small brand or something like hit them up, like tell them, yo dude, like it doesn't have to be any, you don't have to buy Just be like, yo, that's a, that's a sick design. I love this. Like, or that, like those small words of affirmation, definitely in the earlier stages when I was like, is this, is this, this going to suck? Is this, am I going to continue this? Like those kind of things were 
without those, it may have stopped at a point. You, um, you mentioned selling on Amazon initially. So your first products even for Flow Hold were put out on Amazon or were they put out somewhere else? Because I think in my mind, the, the question that would immediately come to for me is how do you get the word out there? What were you doing to get the word out? Yeah. And in the beginning, not a lot. I mean, so I did like a surf poncho, like a towel, like changing poncho was like my initial like Amazon product. Um, and that had done decently well. And then on Amazon, you can just do like, you know, pay pay-per-click ads. Um, uh, so that that's kind of what I started with the shorts was just doing pay-per-click ads. And then they get enough organically up to the top where now when people search jujitsu shorts on Amazon, they, they pop up. And so then like, once you can get there, you're, then you're pretty, you're pretty set. And if people are, if you're like on the first page and that's like why selling through Amazon is such a benefit. I still sell a lot more through Amazon than I sell through the personal site, but the Amazon items are more like core rash guard shorts, whatever. So like anything with like more of a design, like I just do a limited run through those through the site now, but like for like the baseline products, like that's kind of the idea flow, you know, it's called like the fundamentals. So like the fundamental shorts, the fundamentals rash guards, like those are for everyone, like not, nothing too crazy about it. Like clean logo thinking white belt beginner person doesn't know anything. So they're going to Amazon searching ju like jujitsu shorts, jujitsu rash guard. Um, and then it's like a quality product at a, at a decent price they can get. And then hopefully, and then now has been more focused on the, the brand building side, which is the side that I really love and, and enjoy anyways. Um, so it's kind of like developed into this. I've put a lot of the, like my influences from my youth, from like the music, like, so it's like kind of hardcore punk music elements, traditional tattoo stuff like that kind of aesthetic. Um, and there's just people, people have dug it, you know? So people are like, damn, like, um, a lot of guys are like similar stories. Me, dude, I grew up going, like going to these shows and stuff. It's like so cool. There's a jujitsu brand that kind of represents that side too. And I think that's so rad about the internet. And there's, there's, other great jujitsu companies, you know, but, um, it's cool now that there's, it's big enough where, you know, you can have these brands with just different kind of feels, different identities, and you can, you can find the ones that resonate with, with you the most and, and you can support multiple brands. And, you know, it doesn't have to be like back in the day where you had a, a corral and an Atami and a Fiji Gi, and then like, you know, lucky Gi comes on and they're like something new and different, you know, now there's so many many brands and I think it's great. And jujitsu is growing. So like the pool of, of, of customers of people, you know, purchasing stuff is growing. And so the more people you got, the more opportunity you have to kind of create, um, unique brands, unique identities within the space. So where do you see your company? What's on your horizon for your company? Where do you see it going? You know, we just did that. The that, so that's how you found out, right? With through the gi, like so, we just did the first gi, and that did like way better than I expected it um, to do. So we got we got it right now. I mean, it's really just about just grow, growing the growing the selection, the product selection. Um, it's it's about me finding how my position of owner operator works with as the brand's growing now and like now the demands and the time that I, so I'm kind of looking at trying to bring somebody on to help with that. And like, how do I, it's like, that's, what's kind of fun about business. It's, it's problem solving, just like stuff in the military and law enforcement is it's, you know, you're constantly having to solve problems. And as you move up in the ranks, the same with business, it's like you, by, by the time you get used to this role, you're evolving and hopefully growing into that, that next one. So now it's like, all right, I've been running everything, answering every, 
Instagram DM, every email, filling every order. I've had some help with that here. And, you know, I, I contract some people out with, with certain things, but for the most part, it's been me like running the show entirely. And now thankfully that it's grown to a point where it's getting my time stretched. And I definitely think there's certain avenues that I'm, I'm kind of neglecting to a degree, um, in order to take care of everything else that maybe there's, there's elements now I can bring other, you know, another person at least to help. So now it's just navigating how to, uh, evolve and grow the brand and to keep it the core identity that I think has resonated with people so far, keep that, but, um, you know, grow it to a degree. I don't know. You know, I don't know, like the, it's funny business school, even the middle, you know, like the five-year plan and this and that, I, I don't know, you know, I, I, to how large or to what degree, like, I just know as long as I can enjoy doing it and people are still digging the stuff that we put out and we're still bringing value to the community. Um, you know, that's what I want to focus on because being in the, I'll tell you, like being in the space so much. And, and when I go to the gym and, and people are wearing flow hold, I'm like, I'm very intimate with, with the reaction and the reception and the quality and all that stuff. So it's like, I have to be on it and I'm very much in it 24 seven cause it is my life. So it's a good thing. And a kind of a potentially a bad thing about creating a business around your hobby, your passion, um, like navigating that space of, of business bleeding into pleasure. But I think if you can do it right, like it doesn't necessarily maybe feel like work all the time. So have you had that experience yet where you've seen somebody wearing some of your apparel that you, to your knowledge, have no direct connection to not somebody from your studio, just random person yeah. in public. Yeah. What's yeah. that like? Oh, it's sick. I mean, I went to a tournament a couple months ago and I saw a couple of people in, in flow hold stuff. And then even just, I mean, in the beginning, just when you start to get, I'm like, like, I remember like my first international order. I'm like, dude, some guy in South Korea just paid $30 to have this like shipped out. And it's like, Whoa, that's cool. And then when strangers you don't know are just sending you DMS on the brand order, then now like victory, the gym that I train at, it's, it's a big gym and we have like advanced classes are separate from beginners classes. And so now I'll show up into my own gym and there's a white belt that I've never met, never talked to, or a couple of them and they're rocking flow hold stuff. And it's like, damn, that's like, so it's so rad. And I always try and like go up to people and, and talk to them and be like, introduce myself and like get their feedback. And, um, yeah, like that's one of the coolest things for sure is when people start to, that you don't know at all, have no connection. Um, or when someone else will tell you a story, I just talked to my, my buddy, Bobby, I was talking to, he's like, dude, you put that picture up with, with me in it. And he's like, my buddy for up in North Cal was like, yo, how do you know flow? Like, that's my shit. Like, I love that stuff. So you hear stuff like that. And it's like, all right, like it's not people just being nice, you know, or whatever, like your friends supporting you. And, and, and yeah, it's, it feels good to, um, you know, have your, your, your work, your hard work be received well. And not trying to overgeneralize it. Um, but from talking to you and kind of the feel that I get when you talk about not per se, having that five-year plan, that 10-year plan, it almost feels like what you're hoping for your company is to grow organically and where it goes is where you're going to go with it. A hundred percent. I mean, I'm, there's, there's a certainly value in, in thinking about the future and having longer term plan. And I'm not saying I, I don't have particular things that are that are in the future that I'm working towards or striving toward or general ideas. But again, with the course of my life and, 
and everything. I, I've learned that even if whatever plan you have, it's probably not going to go. You know, they say you want to hear God laugh, tell me your plans. Right. So I, I, I'm trying to focus more on the, all right, what are this in, what are the individual steps today that I need to do to get to the general area that I want to be tomorrow or in a year from now or in five years from now. And I think, you know, the whole, the think right now, just generally in the zeitgeist, the mindfulness and presence, all that stuff is starting to really come up more. And it's stuff that I like to, to read about and, and focus on it. And definitely like I found when I am present, it doesn't really you know, I have to have a general, you got to have a general idea of where you're going, but that, that's just going to inform what you need to do today and now. And you get those things done and you might be surprised where, where they get you to in the future, I think. So At, when we're recording today here in July, still June, um, you're a couple months removed from getting your black belt. What's mm-hmm. your future is from the, the jujitsu community and are you looking to your own studio teaching um, you know, I, 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 I don't think, I think just because of the, I love teaching. I've had the opportunity to like, to teach, um, stuff a lot of times, just more in, in, informally. Um, I had a great experience on my deployment to Guam. We got to train at an awesome gym out there, purebred, which was killer. But then sometimes if we couldn't, you know, we were traveling off Island or whatever. Um, three guys in my platoon got really into jujitsu during that time. So I was kind of like helping them, them train throughout the whole thing. And then just, you know, a bunch of other times teaching, like I love teaching jujitsu and I think it's beneficial to you as the the person teaching, like it forces you to kind of examine your game and, and think about things that maybe you would overlook if you're just training, you know, versus, you know, it, it, when you're teaching someone else how to do something, it reinforces all that into you and it just it does, it helps you for sure. So I, I love that, but I don't particularly want the responsibility of running and operating a gym, maybe years and years and down the road, or maybe some semblance of that. Um, I'm hoping to, and I, um, teach a little bit, you know, help out and cause I do enjoy that. And I, and it's a good way to also like get to know the beginners and, and just like foster, build that community within the gym. And, um, it's hard if you're like separated advanced and beginners class and you're not really seeing those guys as much. And, um, you know, I think it's good to get to, to know those people and teaching is one of the best ways to do that. So yeah, I, I love teaching and I'm hoping to like help teach through the gym and, and stuff like that. But yeah, in, in, in the near future, especially with running flow hold and like the, this time wise, you know, committing to that, I think I can give more value to the jujitsu community at large through the business rather than through, there's a lot of great black belt instructors, especially in San Diego. I mean, there's so much good <laughs> jujitsu here. So it's like, yeah, I think I have value to bring there to a small degree. Um, but I think, I hope as the brand grows and, and we can start like supporting more athletes and just like supporting the community at large. I have some ideas for some pretty cool, like events that I kind of want to do through flow hold, I think. Um, so I think through that, I can just utilize my, my resources. Give and, back and to my, the community in a different yeah, way. Yeah. Yeah. And not, you know, not, not to like over, like I want to give back, like, yeah, like, okay. I want to, you know, add to the thing that I love. Like I do, it's given me so much, all these stories we've been talking about and I'm like, yeah, I realized the bad parts when I had no, no jujitsu, like jujitsu for me is like outside of like direct friends and family, like for sure the most impactful single 
like thing that's been in my life. Like a lot of my lessons learned. And I think any of my positive values that I have, if they weren't instilled through jujitsu, they definitely were strengthened through it, you know? Um, so it's, I love it. So wrapping up any last piece of advice for that guy or girl, maybe they're looking at their transition point. Maybe they're thinking about starting their own company that maybe you wish you would have been told when you first started. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I would say, yeah, I, I, I had an old friend in town yesterday for an, an EOD guy and we were hanging out and he, he got out after nine years and we were kind of talking about the, that whole process of when you're getting out. And we kind of mentioned it earlier, like of like the naysayers and just the people that are going to be around you and, and just not understanding your path and wanting to project what they probably, and, and I don't want this to be twisted as, as being critical of people that are, offering some sort of guidance like hey have you thought about this like you know maybe because i think some people do maybe get so fed up at a point with the military and they're like i'm gonna get out but maybe that actually military might be the best for them you gotta consider you know who you are and and what's what's best for you i i the guys that enjoy it and they are about it and like stay in the military like i think that's awesome i i would be i would have been i would have been thrilled if that was my experience you know and i didn't have to go through this navigation of like all right what am i doing next like what but you know for me that wasn't the case but when people are telling you what are you gonna do like it's scary out there like just ignore those voices those people are not those are small-minded people that you don't need to be, you know, you don't need to be around. You don't need to concern yourself with that. If you have really thought about it and, and you've done some soul searching and you know that it, it's right for you, your heart's not in the military service, then it's, it's time to get out. And when you do, there are a ton of resources. You might have to look for the resources. TAPS is cool when they help, you know, you go through the last week and it kind of shows you some of the stuff that's out there. Um, that'll help you. Those are great, but there's also a lot of like independent organizations that will help you with resumes. They'll help you with applications, you know, all that stuff. And, and you might not hear about it in taps, but you can pretty easily hear about it through Google or go to, um, any of those veteran run organizations like that are in the VA, like at least here in San Diego and mission Valley, you go in there, there's all these little offices of, um, different like veteran organizations that are set up. They're people that are getting paid. And a lot of times they're sitting there waiting for people to come in and ask questions and, and give information. So even if you have a decent idea of what you're doing, talk to them. Cause there's, I guarantee there's stuff that you don't even know exists that, that will benefit you. That'll be perfect for you. So like, don't just take what the military <clears throat> is giving to you in those final few weeks or whatever it is about your separation, like do a little, um, do a little due diligence and, and find some stuff on your own because there's probably things that you don't even know about that are going to be beneficial to you. And then, you know, the GI bill is awesome. So it, like school is a great time to, to figure out kind of or lock in a little bit deeper onto to what, what you want to do. Um, there's going to be, there's, there's, there's shit in every career. Everything, you know, there's stuff you got that sucks about the military. There's stuff about that sucks about running your own business. There's stuff that sucks about school. There's, there's always going to be something. So don't ever think that it's just going to, you're going to get out of the military and then like everything's going to be better because all my problems are from the military. Like it, it probably will be better, but it's not like all your problems are going to go away. Obviously, I don't you know. Um, but yeah, if you feel drawn to that, 
don't let the negative voices second, let you second guess yourself. You know, what's right for yourself. You know, be honest, get quiet, be open, think about things. And if you feel like your heart's leading you in that place, then follow your heart. It's, corny sounds <laughs> follow your heart follow your heart man you got to cre- create the space to allow yourself to to understand it get rid of the distractions take a day get off social media get off t- whatever and really allow yourself to be open to your own guiding light and follow that you know if anybody's got any additional questions for you what's a good way to get in touch with you yeah um through flowhold Flowhold SD, like Flowhold San Diego, some jabroni has at Flowhold, and I've messaged him a thousand. He doesn't have a single post. Duncan Mateo, if you're out there <laughs> holding my Flowhold handle uh, captive, just give it up, man. So, right. So, so Flowhold SD is the Instagram. Um, send me a message on Flowhold SD. Um, I love talking. That, that's one of the great things like about running that company. It's like most people I talk to is about jujitsu, but if you're getting out of the military and you got tr- uh, questions in, in regards to that, it doesn't have to be about jujitsu at all. Like feel free to hit me up. Happy to help veterans if I can, you know, so appreciate your time. Yeah, dude. Thanks, Paul. This Thank is fun. you. Thank you for taking your time to listen to the podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed it. Not only is the podcast available on audio platforms, but you can also watch it on YouTube at the Transition Drill Podcast channel. Please subscribe for future episodes. The best way you can help the show is by getting the word out. If you think somebody else might enjoy it, I would appreciate it if you would share it with them. Also, if you have the time, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave me a rating. I welcome your feedback, both positive and negative. You can also go to the website, transitiondrillpodcast.com, and through the contact tab, Send a message directly to my email with any comments or suggestions. Thank you again, and I hope you tune in for the next one.